0: Let us approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Our text for our sermon is the Old Testament lesson recorded in Genesis chapter 12 verses 1 through 8. Now the Lord said to Abram, get out of your country and away from your relatives and from your father's house and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. You will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse anyone who dishonors you. All the families of the earth will be blessed in you. So Abram went as the Lord had told him. Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Abram took Sarai his wife, Lot his brother's son, and all the possessions they had accumulated, and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to travel to the land of Canaan. Eventually they arrived in the land of Canaan. Abram passed through the land until he came to the Oak of Morah at the place called Shechem. The Canaanites were in the land at that time. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, I will give this land to your descendants. Abram built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. He moved on from there to the hill country east of Bethel and pitched his tent there, with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and proclaimed the name of the Lord. This is the word of our Lord. We're pretty good at looking out for number one, aren't we? We're pretty good at asking the question, what's in it for me? And it had to have seemed seemed very strange for that Samaritan woman when a Jewish person sits down and asks her to do what many considered unclean, to hand her a drink of water. And it's because of that that she asks, why are you a Jew asking me for a drink of water? And in the ensuing conversation, we're told in John chapter 4 verses 13 through 14 that Jesus says to her, everyone who drinks this thirst, this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I will give him will never be thirsty ever again. Rather, the water I will give him will become in him a spring of water bubbling up to eternal life. Now there's something in it for her, isn't there? She sees a great reward and she says, Sir, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. Isn't that the way we are? What benefit do I get out of this? It amazes me how unselfish Christians can be. Take last weekend the many men who volunteered to come in and open up our parking lot and dig out that snowdrift, dig out the door, who would have to come back later on the week and repeat the process so you and I could meet here today. How unselfish. Selfish. Only an act of love for God leads to that. But at the same time, don't we have a sinful nature that constantly asks that question that is our sermon theme? What's in it for me? And sometimes we're willing to be unselfish, but then people sit back and say, here's what you should have done. Here's how you should have fixed this. Here's how you should have done that. Here's how you should serve me. Here's what somebody ought to do so long as that person isn't me. And so today, as we look at God's call to Abraham, we'll ask the question and answer our sinful nature when it does ask, what's in it for me? Now, as usual, from here on out, I will be preaching on my own Hebrew translation. There's a few things I want to bring out in the text. But when we look at God calling Abraham, it's different than what you, we would think. For example, uh, in, the old, in Genesis, as we start covering the ages of different human beings, when we get to the one that's Noah and what will lead to the flood, we're told in Genesis chapter 6, verse 9, this is the account about the development of Noah's family. Noah was a righteous man, a man of integrity in that generation. Noah walked with God. Scripture makes it very clear. Noah was a pretty strong believer, wasn't he? We're not told that about Abraham when God calls him. In fact, if we look at Joshua chapter 24, verse 2, we're told, then Joshua told all the people, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, has said. From ancient times, your ancestors, including Terah, who was the father of Abraham and the father of Nahor, lived beyond the Euphrates River, and they served other gods. When Scripture introduces us to Abram, who we will know as Abraham, we're not told as we were of Noah that he's a righteous man, a man of integrity. He is an idolater. He may worship the true God. It may be like his grandnephew Laban who has those little idols that he prays to to help around household things. He's an idolater. And that is the case for you and I. We are sinners and God must reach out to us who are unclean, who are unrighteous, and he must call us. He must give us the faith. And in our epistle lesson, we are told about righteousness in Abraham. In Romans chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, we're told, What then will we say that Abraham, our forefather, discovered according to the flesh? If indeed Abraham had been justified by works, he would have had a reason to boast. But not before God. For what does Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. In fact if we look at the epistle of hebrews we find out that when god called abram's father he actually did it through abram to leave ur of the chaldees and he's supposed to go to the land of canaan somehow they end up in haran of aram and it seems this may have been their hometown from the start but that's for another day so let's get into abraham's call what's in it for me now the lord said to abram whoa hit the brakes the name used ur for god the lord that's from that hebrew verb being which emphasizes that God is absolutely faithful, absolutely faithful to his covenants and his promises, when God calls Moses from the burning bush and Moses is trying to find excuses not to go, Moses says, and who shall I say sent them? And God tells him, the Lord. But he says, by that name, I did not reveal myself to Abraham, even though Moses uses that name for Abram in today's text. Abram knew him as God, which emphasizes that he's all powerful. But for you and I, the Holy Spirit inspired Moses to let us know this is the God who's faithful to his promises. And that's got to come into play throughout our, our text. So the Lord says to Abram, get yourself going away from your land, away from your relatives and from your father's house into the land that I will bring about your seeing. Whoa, hit the brakes. You and I are not Farmers. But I can tell you, having served farmers, there is something about land and there is something about when you acquire it, being able to pass it on to your children. You're not in that land anymore. You've got to leave that behind. Oh, and leave behind relatives. Now, today, you and I, we don't think twice about it. Many of us, many of you even started this church because you left relatives several states towards the east to come out here for work and things like this. But you get to go back to them. It would take over a month to travel back. And Abram is, is, is to leave his relatives, no more talking to his cousins and the people he knows. You're going to be a stranger in a strange land. And the final one that really digs in, and from your father's house. Today, we think it's strange when our neighbor doesn't kick their 31-year-old son out of the basement and tell him it's time you be a man. And that's not the problem they had in those days. In those days, when you got married, you actually built a section onto your paternal home. You had a common area in which you would all meet often for meals and things like that. And you literally were your father's retirement account. You stayed together. Abraham, abandon everything. You're no longer to be your father's retirement account. Abandon the very people that depend on you and support on you. Support you. Now, obviously, there's another brother. You're done there. And I think the ultimate kicker is, and to the land I will bring about your scene. You don't even know your final destination. You know this wide area that's known as Canaan. But I'm going to show you where you're supposed to settle down. You're going to have to trust in me on that. What? What's in it for me? What am I going to get from abandoning everything? Really, Lord? I'm never going to see my father's household again? Really? Really? Ah, but it's like the Lord seems to know the sinful nature is going to ask what's in it for me. So he answers, and I will make you into a great nation. Oh, brothers and sisters in Christ, it'll be 400 years before the descendants of Abraham are a great nation. In fact, Abraham's going to be nearly 100 years old when he finally has Isaac, through whom Jacob will come, and Jacob will have the 12 sons. We know the rest of the story. It takes 400 years. But he continues, and I will bless you. We could stop there. What's in it for me? God just said, I will bless you. And we have to remember blessings from God. Too many people think blessings are earthly riches, and they can be a blessing. But having a relationship with God, knowing God is ruling over all creation for you, wow, what more can you ask for? We're going to get into the ultimate blessing here in a minute. And I'm determined to make your name great so that you will be a blessing. Today, we call the Jewish people the descendants of Abraham. Today, you, even if you have no Jewish blood in you, are considered a child of Abraham because you trust in the coming Savior and the Savior who has come as He trusted in the coming Savior. His name is great, Even in His day... When, for example, those cities uh, come up against Sodom and Gomorrah and, and they haul off Abraham's son Lot and Lot. Or Abraham, has, he has literally a traveling village with him. He's so prosperous. He attacks the baggage train and wins his nephew back. He wins the battle. Oh, they knew not to mess with Abraham. His name was great. It's very interesting as he continues. Literally, it says, "And you, and be a blessing. Now, lots of times after a bunch of of promises like that, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, and then all of a sudden you have a Hebrew imperative. It's the way of saying, this is going to be the ultimate end result, period. End of discussion. You will be a blessing. And he explains what that blessing is. He says in verse 3, That is, I'm determined to bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who belittle you. Those who bless you. Have you ever heard when people talk about somebody, they say everything he touches turns to gold. It's good to work for somebody like that. Those are people you go to for advice on how to invest in things like that. That was Abraham. And the people who recognized it, God would bless them. Abraham was literally a blessing for them. Living around him, being a contact for him. Think about it. Wherever he would roam in Canaan the rest of his life, that place wasn't going to suffer God was taking care of Abraham. He'd send the rain, right? But he also says in in those who would belittle you, that the Hebrew word used there is kind of like, you know, people who to make themselves look better, they make everybody else point out the flaws of everybody else. They're really not elevating themselves. They're just chopping everybody else down below them. Those who chop you down, those who belittle you or who deride you or hold you in contempt. And this is said in the singular. Abraham is the one through whom the promised Savior would come. More on that here in a minute. To turn around and curse Abraham is actually to harden your heart against God because he was the one who God had chosen to be his foremost representative at this time and the representative for all history because salvation would come through his descendant. And then he says those words. So all the nations of the earth will be blessed in you. We're going to get into that here in a moment. But think about everything God has just promised to Abraham. And God may not have come to you and said, I'm going to promise you this, this. But when you were baptized, God says, I promise you, you are my child. Because you are my child, if people hate you because of me, they're not going to get away with it. They may take your life. I'll take you to heaven. But believe me, if in anything else, they'll spend an eternity in hell. But I have my plans there. God prospers you. God only allows hardships to come in your life so they can be a blessing to you and to others in keeping you in your faith. So when the sinful nature says, what's in it for me? Your new man can turn right back to that sinful nature and say, how about God's blessings? What do you need in this life? But there's one major blessing. Did you catch it? Let me start back at the second half of verse 2 and work through the end of verse 3 again. So that you will be a blessing. That is, I am determined to bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who belittle you. And so all families of the earth will be blessed in you. You can literally trace every family to one man, Noah. He had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Abraham's a descendant of Shem, but everybody has at least one of those brothers as an ancestor, if not all three. But when he says all families of the earth will be blessed in you, did you catch what the blessing is? This is the greatest blessing ever given. Abraham will pass on through his seed, The promise of the coming Savior through Isaac, who will pass it on. He has two sons to Jacob, who will pass it on. Jacob has 12 sons to Judah. Eventually that gets passed on to Obed, who passes it on to Jesse, who passes it on to David, where it's really reaffirmed. And we find ourselves a thousand some years after David, the Gospel of Matthew, where we're told of Jesus' adopted father, Joseph, and his biology going all the way back. Oh, and then Luke, it seems to be it's Mary's genealogy that we see that Jesus can trace his genealogy all the back to Abraham. In the blessing here is the blessing of the Savior. The Savior will be your descendant, Abram. And when our sinful nature says, what's in it for me? One of the greatest, if not the absolute greatest response we can give to that sinful nature is, how about a Savior? Because if we were holy and already saved, we wouldn't be asking, what's in it for me? Why? Because the Savior is true God who became a true man. He served you by taking on your and my flesh and living all the miseries of this life, even taking the pain of the cross, even being abandoned by God so that He could wash your sins away and make you God's child. Sometimes when my sinful nature says, what's in it for me, all I have to do is tell it, look at how God served you. By taking on human flesh. That's it. That's all the motive I need because I could never serve enough to repay that if God held it as a debt. But it's a gift. What's in it for me? How about God's blessings? How about a savior, which is the greatest blessing? And from that, all the other blessings truly flow. Now, let's back up again and take a look at what's going on in Abraham's life. Starting at verse 1 of our text. Now, the Lord said to Abram, Get yourself going away from your land and away from your relatives, from your father's house into a land that I will bring about your seeing. Abraham's going to head in a particular direction, but he doesn't know the exact end goal. And when we skip ahead to verse 4, we're told, And so Abram went just as the Lord had told him. And Lot also went with him. Now, Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Now, Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all the possessions they had accumulated and all the people they had acquired. Today, we call them employees. In those days, they were most of them would be servants or slaves that he had purchased and those born. But Abraham never treated his slaves the way we think of like with the American, prior to the American Civil War. Now, they departed in order to go to the land of Canaan. And so they entered the land of Canaan. But Abram doesn't know where he's supposed to settle down. The truth of the matter is, we know the rest of the story. He'll own a small enough section of land to bury his wife Sarah and himself and eventually his son Isaac. And that's the only land he's ever going to own. So we're told in verse 6, Then he passed from one side to the other in the land up to the place of Shechem, up to the terebinth tree of Morah. Now the Canaanites were in the land back then. Then the Lord Again, that name for the Lord—he's absolutely faithful to his promises. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, "I am giving this land to your offspring." And so Abram built an altar there for the Lord who had revealed himself to Abram. Four hundred years before anything is owned by his chil- by his ancestors, other than a gravesite, a burial plot, if you will. But in all of this, God is teaching Abraham. To obey. Now, remember, the law makes ten demands, but it doesn't give you one ounce of power to keep any of those ten demands. There you go, you're angry at your neighbor, you've murdered at your heart, damn to hell. That's all the law can do. The gospel, the good news of salvation in that Savior, it makes one demand it demands that you believe it, it demands faith. But it supplies it. For when you hear that you have a Savior and your sins are forgiven, the Holy Spirit works through that to enter your heart. And if he's already given birth to that new person, he works through it again to nourish that new person over and over again. We call it the obedience of faith. Suddenly God's word is important to us and we want to hear it. And we want to keep it straight. And look at how God is training Abram in his life, calling him out of Ur the Chaldees. And somehow he ends up in Haran instead of Canaan. Something went wrong. And then calling him into Cain that you're going to have to roam around blindly and trust in me. And you know, the sad thing, the next thing that happens after today's sermon text, there's a drought and Abram beats it down to Egypt. He doesn't trust in the Lord, doesn't trust in the Lord's promise. And I will curse those who curse you. So he says to his wife, Sarah, lie and say, you're my sister. And suddenly, apparently she's a pretty attractive woman for her age, especially for her age. And she ends up in, in, in Pharaoh's harem and God has to intervene. Abraham is is called the father of believers, but it's not, look at Abraham's faith, how he just started out a believer. No, God gradually taught him over his life. And the same is true for you and I. It is amazing to me some of the great struggles that I had when I was a young man. Today, I can take those like they're just dust blowing in the wind. Ah, And the struggles I have to deal with today. Well, they'd have broke my back when I was a young man. Yet in all of them, I see the blessing of the Lord. Yes, Lord. Once again, you've proven to me while I was worried and stressed out. You had it. You were taking care of me. You're going to take care of me until the day you call me to heaven, in which case you're going to give me the ultimate care. When our sinful nature says, what's in it for me, especially when we have to make, those, when we have to make that, that leap of trusting in God and His promises, we can respond right back, how about lessons on the obedience of faith? Because your whole entire life is God training you so that He keeps you in the faith He gave you so that you remain attached to that Savior. Now, and again, with Romans chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, we're told, What then will we say that Abraham, our forefather, discovered according to the flesh? If indeed Abraham had been justified by works, he would have had a reason to boast, but not before God. For what does Scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. God teaches us to continually cling to him when the world screams, God did not mean that promise. And so we have lessons in obedience of faith last thing I want to cover today is verse 8. And then he broke camp and moved on from there to the mountain, which is to the east of Bethel. And then he pitched his tent there with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Martin Luther translated this for the German people that he proclaimed the name of the Lord. And Abraham certainly in his life told others about the true Lord, the living God, the God who provides for us. So that would be an accurate translation. But what do you build an altar for? Is there to worship? How do we worship the Lord? Well, that's the second commandment. Do not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. We're told in, in Genesis, after we're told about Adam and Eve's third son, Seth, that we're told there's, at this time, men begin to call on the name of the Lord. Abram begins to formally worship the Lord. And that would involve proclaiming his name. His name tells us everything he does for us. And you and I have that privilege too. Abraham had a relationship with God. He worshiped the Lord and he showed it. Jesus has made you sons and daughters of the king. When our sinful nature says, what's in it for me? Because we have a Savior and all those blessings, we can say, how about a relationship with God? A relationship in which, because that sinful nature gets its sucker punches in and we fall into our sin, we can go to the Lord and we can call on His name. We can say, Lord, here's my sin. I leave it at the foot of your cross. And He responds back to you. My blood has washed it away. It's gone. Because you are His child. He's ruling over all creation for you. So those times when you go, Lord, I'm not seeing your hand. Worship the Lord. Invoke that relationship. He is your Father. And no, yeah, He's using this for your good as well. So... We can put ourselves in the shoes of Abram, scratching his head when the Lord calls him to leave everything behind and say, what's in it for me? And we can sarcastically answer right back to that sinful nature. How about God's blessings, which includes the ultimate blessing? How about a Savior? How about lessons on the obedience of faith? How about a relationship with God? Because you are God's child. You are redeemed. God has credited it to you as righteousness. Amen. Now may the God of hope fill you with complete joy and peace as you continue to believe, so that you overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.